0: You are listening to an Emanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emanuelcommunity.org. Christmas story in the Bible is all about giving. And yet, it seems that we as Americans have made it so much about receiving. Why is that? Where did that begin? Well, in my opinion, it began when you were just very little, probably too small to even remember. And your parents said to you, what do you want for Christmas? And then, your neighbors, the other kids, said to you, what do you want for Christmas? And then your extended family, you'd go and visit your aunts and uncles, and they'd say, what do you want for Christmas? And you'd sit on Santa's lap, and he had one question, didn't he? Well, little boy, what do you want for Christmas? And it all kind of, I think, focused on the, what do I want? And I I think that's been our problem. And we wonder sometimes why at the happiest time of the year, we're probably not as happy as we ought to be because we're focused on what we want. Now, Here's my suggestion. What if you start asking your children or your spouse, what would you like to give for Christmas? What if you took a piece of paper and gave it to your child and said, Go ahead and write down what you'd like to give your dad, your mom, your brother, your sister for Christmas. No, you can't give that to your brother. That's not nice. (laughs) Right? But what would you like to give? I, I know you probably couldn't afford many of those things, but what would you like to give for Christmas? Wouldn't that be interesting? would that change the whole focus? Now, I put here the word balance because I know some of you maybe who have smaller kids and you're so looking forward to Christmas, and you go, well, I want to ask them what they want. That's fine. I'm not saying you should never do it. I'm saying, what if we found balance, even for the youngest children? What if you drew a picture of mommy and daddy and brother and sister and said, what would you like to give each one for Christmas? It could change the way we think about the holiday season, and by the way, I think it could make it much more special. Well, today we're gonna to start a six-part series. Actually, it's gonna take us past Christmas. And we're gonna look at the gifts that the wise men brought and why they are so unique and special in what they teach us. And my hope is that this even leads us through 2023 and talking about how we can be better givers, all of us, uh, of ourselves. So today we're going to do the study of the Magi. Now, it's been 15 years since we've studied the Magi, one of my favorites. But it was 15 years ago, 2007, we did a study on them. And today we're going to start another one. It's a little different than that one, obviously, but it's the idea of how we can do better at giving at Christmas. Now, you... Probably have heard me say multiple times over the years we see we sing "We three kings of Orient are they weren't three, they weren't kings, and they weren't from the Orient, but we keep singing it, right In fact, the last line following yonder star they didn't do that either, and i 'm going to show you that in a moment because it's one of those things that a lot of Christians don't even understand so we 're going to try to really understand the story of the magi today, and then in the coming weeks we're going to understand better their gifts and how it should affect our gifting, and how we should then be people who live like the Magi, looking for a way to give. Take your Bibles, if you would, Matthew chapter 2. Take your sermon notes. If you like following along, you can use the paper ones or the ones on your mobile device. And let's dig into God's Word and study together Now, before I read the text to you, there's a couple things I want to share. First of all, we often do two lessons for a series, so I'll give you two lessons for this one. Number one would be, the first Christmas was all about giving. The angels came and gave an announcement to the shepherds, right? And they gave their worship to Christ. Then the shepherds, who were the lowest, the angels were the highest of God's creation. The shepherds are the lowest of God's creation, at least from man's perspective, And they gave their worship and then the wise men came and they brought gifts. In fact, did you ever think about this? They traveled for a month or more to deliver three gifts, spend, we don't know how much time, we'll say two hours, then got back on the camels and headed back another month's travel. Can you imagine all that effort to give three gifts, but they're really, they came to worship as you know. But Christmas, is, as you know, I, I don't have to say this each year, but it's good to be reminded. Christmas is about one gift that God the Father gave to all the world, His Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave. I w- thought I'd just remind you about God's giving. Before I do, our Christmas can be much more meaningful when we change the focus from receiving to giving, and then expand our giving from our immediate family and closest friends to others uh, who... Maybe you don't even know as well, but you could change their life. You could change their day just by kind gift. Now, God set the standard for giving. We are told throughout scriptures, be like your father, right? Your father in heaven is perfect, be ye therefore perfect like him, says the Bible. Just think of the gifts that he gave. Now, James one time said to us, this is the half-brother of Jesus, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly light. So God gives us all gifts. He is the giver of gifts. But then you take the Bible and you think, what gifts did he give? It started at creation and it continues through eternity. It started with the world. He gave us the world. The creation story, he gave Adam and Eve a garden and he asked nothing in return except for their presence, just to walk with him in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. So God is a giver who is not expecting much in return. But the, the Bible begins with giving. Giving. It continues as you get through the book of Genesis with four patriarchs, and each to them he gave a promise, or multiple promises, and he always keeps his promises. And as you know, hundreds of years later, he gave that land that he'd promised, we know it as Israel, to the people of the patriarchs, the Jewish people. And then, as we get to the New Testament, I'm skipping dozens and dozens of other examples, You come to the New Testament and the very first pages of the Bible, of the New Testament at least, is about his son and the salvation that he brings. So God gave us his son and salvation. He gave us these things. If you come to faith in Christ, you get spiritual gifts. That's what they're called, gifts. None of us have the same ones. Each one one is designed specifically for each one of us because of our particular abilities and strengths. And God gave us gifts, spiritual gifts, to use on this planet. And then after this planet, he says, I'm providing for you an eternal home. It doesn't stop. He just gives, 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 gives. That's who God is. In fact, he even tells us about that. Let me take you to one passage of Scripture in Matthew. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Kind of a nasty dad, huh? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So who he is by nature is a giving God and he wants us to be like him. Now, I think the best example of gift giving, particularly at the season, right, is the story of the Magi. The story of the Magi only found in the Gospel of Matthew. Some people say, well, that's a problem. It's only found there. Well, I never hear people say, well, the story of the shepherds is only found in Luke. You see, a lot of things are found in one passage because of the intent of the passage. Matthew is written to the Jews about a king. And so these are king makers. Follow along as I read. that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd or who will shepherd my people Israel. Notice these, that's in a quote, that means it's It's a direct quote from the Old Testament. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Now, I know many of us know this story and know it well, so... I'm hoping I can share something with you that'll just be a good reminder, a good challenge, or maybe something that you had not considered before. So hang with me as we just walk through this very basic story of the Magi. First Christmas story, actually, that we have in the Bible. First of all, the Magi visited some time after Jesus' birth. When? Well, we have a time frame, and I'll show you that in a moment. But they weren't there the night that Jesus was born. Luke 2 is the story of that night. Matthew 2 is a story that happened sometime later, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We'll talk about that time frame in just a moment, like I said. But I've told you over the years, I've teased you, that when you set up your nativity scene in your home, You know, set up the nativity scene with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and so forth if you want, but put the wise men on the other side of the room because they're on the way, right? They're not there that night. They're on the way. And so when you see Christmas cards and so forth this year, you want to be reminded, oh, they weren't there that night. The Bible doesn't teach that. By the way, over the years, I've had people report to me they went to somebody else's house and found the Magi in the manger scene. And we do write citations here at the church. (laughs) Obviously, you put your Magi where you want. That's no problem. But just as a reminder, these guys came later. The Magi saw his star. Lots of different stars, but there was a star they had been looking for for about 400 years. And they finally see it. It's his star. They saw it in the east, and they traveled west. That's something you want to remember. Remember? They didn't follow a star to get to Israel. They saw his star in the east and they traveled west. There were how many magi? Well, tradition says there were three. They even give them names. And that tradition started about 300 AD after Christ. They say that's because there were three gifts, so maybe there were three magi. However, the Orthodox Church, like the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, and so forth, uh, the Orthodox Church holds to 12 magi Because they believe that one came from each of the 12 tribes to recognize their king. And there are other, many other views. So we don't know how many. They were from an area, we believe, around Babylon. And that's because of the story of Daniel that we find in the Old Testament. That area when Jesus was born was called Parthia. I'll show you that in a moment. And I believe their ancestors, the Magi, had been taught By Daniel. Then they taught their children, they taught their children, they taught their children. And those were the ones who actually arrived to visit Jesus. This is on the, it's on the back of your notes. You don't need to turn there now. But over here on the far left is Jerusalem, just to give you context. And this whole area in the time of Christ was called Parthia. So when they say they're from Parthia, there's not much other choice. This whole area was called Parthia. Many people believe they were from the area of Babylon there. And I'll show you why. Now, before I do that, let me show you one passage of Scripture that a lot of people aren't aware of. But Daniel would have known it well. From the book of Numbers, I see him, but not now. Now, this is all talking about the Messiah. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a star. And a scepter will rise out of Israel. So you see, there was always this plan that the Messiah would come and he would come through the line of Judah and he would be a star. He would be, hold the scepter of the king. And apparently Daniel taught the magi of Babylon that. Now, when Daniel lived in Babylon, they changed his name to Belteshazzar. That means Baal's prince, And so here it says, Belteshazzar, the chief of the magicians, that's the word magi. Now, multiple times in the book of Daniel, in fact, if you want to read it for yourself, Daniel chapter 7 to 12, tells you that Daniel had visions and he kept seeing the Messiah. And as he saw the Messiah, I believe he taught the other magi. This is what you got to look for. This will be his star. When you see his star, you need to go worship. By the way, Daniel 5, your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him, that's Daniel, chief of the Magi. So this is the guy who had the right, the opportunity to teach the Magi what was going to happen someday. The Magi stopped for directions when they got to Jerusalem and they spoke with King Herod the Great. Now, if your name is, includes great, You're probably pretty important, right? So this is the king of Israel at that time. I'm going to talk to you about him more in a moment again. But the Magi know that Christ the Messiah will be born in Israel. They just don't know exactly where. So you stop where you would expect to stop in downtown Jerusalem and say, where did this happen? By the way, they asked for directions, and I saw a bumper sticker one time that maybe, ladies, you'll want to purchase. It says... Wise men stop and ask for directions. So uh, maybe if you need that for your husband, there's a, there's a good bumper sticker. Now, they stop and ask for directions with Herod the Great, and this visit shook Herod. Now, Herod just killed people he didn't like, including his own children. If you crossed Herod, he'd just kill you. He had no scruples, no morals. Evil man. But... These guys shook him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. The word disturbed means agitated, afraid. In fact, not just him, but all Jerusalem. Why would these three, or 12, or however number of magi, how would this group of guys shake up Jerusalem and the king? Let me give you a couple thoughts. Number one, magi were perceived in Christ's time as being very powerful spiritual leaders, They were called kingmakers because when a king would die and his son would take his place on the throne, the magi would come and they would anoint the new king. And once the magi did that, king was king. They were the kingmakers. Now, here's the problem. King Herod the Great is already king. So what are the magi doing in town, right? We already have a king. Secondly... They used the term born king of the Jews. We're looking for the one who was born king of the Jews, which tells you that Herod was not that guy. Herod was not born king of the Jews. He was born an Edomite. He wasn't even Jewish. In fact, Herod wanted the title king of the Jews, so he went to Rome, talked to Caesar, and Caesar, he said to Caesar, I want the title king of the Jews, and Caesar, Caesar said, I confer it on you. It's yours. So he was king of the Jews, but he wasn't born king of the Jews. So this is bad news for Herod. Thirdly, the phrase king of the Jews means Messiah. Messiah means king of the Jews. They are Synonyms, so to speak. Now, I, I think it's sad sometimes that people don't understand this when they read scriptures and they try to separate the two. But I want to show you something here. It's clear as, you can, as it can be. When, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Verse two. Verse four. When he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So the king of the Jews is the Messiah. The Messiah is king of the Jews. And Herod knows he's not that guy. So that's why he's disturbed. The religious leaders knew the scriptures declared that Bethlehem was designated as the birthplace of the Messiah. Now, we often pick on these chief priests and teachers of the law, and when I do studies through the gospels, we often kind of criticize these guys, but I'm gonna give them kudos here. When Herod comes and says, hey, where is the Messiah to be born? They apparently immediately go to scriptures, and they say in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet says. What prophet? Well, I put it in your notes for you, Micah 5 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Ephrathah, Judea, though you are small among the clans of you, and out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He'll be the king, whose origins are from old. In other words, he's always been, or he's been from ancient times. And so, in other words, this is one who has always been and who always will be. This is the Messiah, this is the Christ. Herod sought a time frame. When the star appeared, because if he can get the time frame, he can find out how old this baby is or this child is. So he asked the Magi to tell him the exact time. Do you note that? From them the exact time the star appeared. And he said, I want to go worship too. Of course, his worship was a little different. He just wanted to put to death anybody who might be a threat to him. And as you probably know what happened, The rest of the story, which we're not gonna read today, but I'll show this to you. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Why? In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. The Magi said the star appeared two years ago or whatever date they gave. And Herod said, okay, we'll say it was 18 months. Herod said, well, then to make sure I get him, I'm going to have to kill all the children under the age of two. So we don't know when the Magi arrived, but we believe it was easily within those first two years and Herod tried to kill him. Of course, as you know, Jesus was taken by his parents down into Egypt, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week. by another route. Now, just a few thoughts here about this story that's pretty much self-explanatory. Once they left Herod and they had learned that somewhere in Bethlehem, this baby was to be born, that same star appeared. Now, it's always been in the east while they traveled west. It was just a sign. Now, for six miles, that's what Jerusalem is to Bethlehem, exactly six miles. I've walked it. It's, it's, a not, it's a very, very short distance. It seems even shorter anymore as both areas grow. So they have a star, the same star, appear in the sky and lead them those six miles. Now, this was the first GPS, not a global positioning system. This is God's positioning system, right? And so this star goes and stops over the house. And the Magi know two things now. We know we've got the right person because stars don't do that. So we got the right person. This is the king of the, this is the Messiah. Secondly, we've got the right place. And of course, that's the next part. They go to the house. On coming to the house, you see Jesus' family was no longer at a stable or an inn or a guest house as the NIV says in Luke. But now they're in a house. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Now, I'm not, I don't want to say this to be testy in any way, but I just want you to know that they see Mary and the baby, and who do they worship? The baby. Because he is the one who will be king. The first gift that Magi gave to Jesus was their worship. Now, oftentimes we say gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to, in the future, just kind of think, oh, they gave four gifts. Worship, then gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And by the way, note the priorities. Worship first, then they pull out their gifts. They've been waiting a month. Actually, they've been waiting about 400 years to give these gifts. But they traveled for at least a month to get to see Jesus. And they're so excited to give their gifts, but what do they give first? Proskyneo in the Greek. Proskyneo means to drop to your knees. To, to give someone worship as if they're a deity. That's what the word means. By the way, it should be a reminder to every one of us at Christmas time. That's the priority of Christmas worship. It was Charles Wesley who wrote one of our favorite Christmas carols, right? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Verse two. Second part reads like this veiled in flesh. The Godhead see. That's, that's what the Magi see. The Godhead in flesh, wrapped in flesh. Hail the incarnate deity, the God who is in flesh. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Christ was pleased to be a man so that he could dwell with men. Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus our God with us. Wow. I think Charles Wesley caught that pretty well. The Magi then opened their treasures that they had brought with them and presented those gifts that you know so well. Note, and I think this is important, they received nothing in return as far as we know. They didn't put their gifts under the tree and then see the gift for Casper and Melchior under the tree as well. There was no tree, there was no Christmas. They brought gifts not expected. You know, here's the problem for many of us. Someone you weren't expecting gives you a gift, and now you go, oh, no, I got to get them one. Because that's how we see gifts, which isn't the way gifts should be seen. By the way, one last thing you should note, and I have it in the same sentence, I think, in your notes. These gifts are why we give gifts at Christmas. You see, we don't give gifts at Halloween. We give candy, I guess. We don't give gifts at July 4th or other holidays. But this holiday is meant for gifts. Why? Because the Magi brought gifts, and they began the tradition. So when you open your gifts on Christmas, just uh, go, hey, thanks, Magi. This is a very special tradition, and we like it. These gifts are seen as practical and symbolic. Let me explain them to you. Gold is a gift that you give to a king. Can you imagine? I don't know how much gold it was. But my guess is it was a great value. Can you imagine giving a toddler gold? First of all, can you imagine giving a toddler worship? Can you see this? We'll pick 18 months. I don't know the age. This little guy who's toddling around, and can you imagine the three guys falling on their knees and worshiping this child? And then say, Hey, we brought you something. It's solid gold. And then they give him a gift of frankincense. Now, frankincense to us doesn't mean anything, but in those days, everybody knew frankincense is what you burn in the temple only. There's certain aromas that you can burn in your home, incenses you can burn other places, but frankincense you don't burn in your home, you don't burn anywhere else, only in the temple, so that when you go to the temple, it's unique. So this is a gift that you might give a priest to burn or a gift that you'd give a god, a deity to receive. And then lastly, they gave the gift of myrrh and that's a gift for, we'll say a savior. Myrrh is an embalming or burial spice. And when you smell it, you know that you're at a funeral because that's when it's used. It's someone who is born to die and we're all born to die in a sense, but Jesus was born for the specific purpose of dying. Now, I I look at these, and I just want to say this quickly because I don't want to make too much out of this, but I always found it fascinating that the first uh, first gospel is about the king, Christ the king. The second gospel is about Christ Christ our servant or the priest, the one who stands in our place. The third gospel is about Christ who is the God-man, that's Luke, that's Luke the deity. And the fourth gospel, as you know, is about a savior. And so these gifts, I think, also reflect the offices of Christ that the gospels reflect. But I'll show you one more thing. Next week, we're going to talk about a financial gift, how you give financial gifts. By the way, for those of you already panicking, I'm not talking about tithing. That's not the issue here. The issue is how do we properly give financial gifts? And how can we make a habit of it? Then frankincense, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about gifts of faith and why this gift of faith from them should encourage us to give gifts of faith. And then lastly, we're going to talk about gifts for future or gifts that are specifically fitting to one person. In fact, this gift of myrrh, you wouldn't have given to any other baby, only to this one. And we'll understand that in a few weeks. So that's where we're headed. Two more things. After their visit, the Lord directed the Magi in a dream to return by a different route and not visit Herod again. And they were obedient. Who are you going to listen to? A guy whose last name is great or God? The guy who kills people he doesn't like or who disobey him or the God who rewards? And they don't listen to Herod. They listen to God and they go a different route home. That's impressive. And then lastly, the Magi are never mentioned again in Scripture. But this appearance is powerful and it helps us to understand who Jesus really was, which is kind of why we're studying it. I'm going to invite our worship team out to uh, lead us or to sing, in a sense, for us that very song that we've just been talking about, We Three Kings. But before they do, I think it'd only be appropriate if we pause to think about how we'd apply this. How would you put this into, into action right now, this week? Here's my suggestion. Many of you are already great, you're wonderful givers. And this is your lifestyle, so you don't have to change a thing. Just keep doing it. But for some of us, we're not looking every day for a chance to give a gift. And I just, we've got 30 days counting today and Christmas Day. That's 30 gifts you could give to somebody between now and Christmas. It doesn't have to cost you anything. It can be the gift of a, just an extra few moments of conversation, a, a gift of kindness, helping someone with something that they need help with. If you could just give a gift, 30 days, even keep a keep a journal of it. What, what are the 30 gifts that I gave this year on my way to Christmas? By the way, then you're gonna publish it and show everybody what a good giver you are. No, no, this is for you to say, I wanna be more like the Magi. Now, secondly, think about how you can refocus Christmas at your home. How can we start, not saying it's wrong to say this is what I want for Christmas, but instead balancing it with how do you give and how do you receive? And I think that'll help all of us maybe appreciate the Christmas story a little better.